0: He was 86 years of age, and he was living in a time where society was bound to worship their leader as a god. He refused to do so. In fact, the church at that time refused to do so. However, to do that, to refuse to worship the leader at that time, would mean death would mean a horrible death. And as you can expect, um, it wasn't a, a regular situation in society when people, whenever they saw the, the the leader, they would bend their knee and worship him as a god. But you know, um, this particular individual, at 86 years of age, for his full life, served the Lord and refused to bend his knee to this leader, he was not a God, he was just merely a man. I want to speak to you this morning from a passage that is, moved me, actually a number of months ago as I was reading through it. And I thought, what a great passage to speak on. Little did I know that as I started to do a little bit of study into it, that as most pastors will tell you, um, studying the Word to bring a sermon or to bring a message to people has an impact on you first. And so it did in this particular case. So as thank you, Joe, by the the way, for reading and for Daniel for praying and for Pastor Sheldon for leading us this morning and, of course, um, the worship team. We're thankful for all these people that are coming together to make this work in this trying and difficult time. But let's turn our eyes to this word. Let's turn our eyes to the work of Jesus in our hearts, the Holy Spirit, and let's move from this place, change people, not because of what I'm going to say, necessarily, but because of God's Word, but because of the Holy Spirit who wants to change you. Because, you know what, there's not enough. G.C. Riles said that, you know what, justification is perfect, sanctification isn't. We're in this process of moving from one moment to the next where sometimes we fall. Sometimes we go to the left, sometimes we go to the right. We don't carry on that straight and narrow way that we should, just like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress. But you know what? we can come before Him and we can ask for forgiveness. We can repent, we can change our ways and we can move back on that path and the challenges that face us and we can become more like Jesus. But let me say this to you. They're not through epiphanies. Your will is involved. You have to say yes to that sanctifying work. You have to say yes, I want to be changed because you can say no. You can fall asleep You can come to church and you can be taking in everything around you because nobody's going to really see what's inside, right, except for the Holy Spirit. You can come here and you can pretend to be somebody who's holy. You can pretend to be somebody who is following after Jesus. But are you really? Are you making those tough choices? Are you being like this 86-year-old man who at his 86th year said, No, I refuse to bow my knee. And the story tells us, as recorded in church history, one of the amazing recollections of miracles, that he was found out. Soldiers went to his place to take him away, to take him to the stadium for those people who were thirsty for blood, wanting to see more and more Christians desecrated in front of them. And you know what he did when the soldiers came? He beckoned them to come in. And he asked the people who were serving him and looking after him, can you make them some tea? And they were kind of astounded at his old age. Why are they so concerned about this man at 86 years of age? Why are they concerned about him? What is is he going to do to us? Meanwhile, as they sipped their tea and ate whatever it is that they provided for them, he asked him if he could pray. He said, "Could I pray for an hour?" And in fact, in front of him, he prayed for two. and then, after he was finished, he calmly said, "You can take me." and off he went. Wow, doesn 't that actually speak of someone else who did the same thing? Our Lord and our Savior, who was in the Garden of Gethsemane, who anguished over our sin that he was going to bear on the cross. They came to take him. And of course, we know the story of Peter not wanting his Lord to be taken. And Jesus saying, listen, I was meant to do this. I was meant to be taken for you. And we understand that person of Peter, Petros the Rock, wanting to be there for his Lord, but not really totally getting it, and actually not totally getting it for a number of days later. So he was carted away, this 86-year-old, to a city that was ready to accept another sacrifice in their midst. J.C. Ryle in his book, Holiness, and I thoroughly recommend that book for you. It's a very good read. It's not too hard, too difficult, but it's definitely well worth reading. In fact, I was turned to it when I was reading the obituary of J.I. Packer who, if you know, was was an evangelical theologian, was well-known, very prominent. And it listed a couple of books that he read, reread every year, and one of them was Pilgrim's Progress. The other one was this one, this book by J.C. Ryle, entitled Holiness. It's a leading mark of true saints that they grow, according to Ryle. There are marks by which we might ascertain growth in our faith. He names a number, Increased humility, increased faith and love towards Jesus, increased holiness of life and conversation, increased spirituality of taste and mind, increased love towards all people, but especially towards the brethren. It's the last one that I want to focus on today. Increased zeal and diligence to draw people to Jesus, even in the midst of great famine of repentance. According to Ra, one of the surest marks, of spiritual decline is a decreased interest about the souls of others and the growth of Christ's kingdom. I want to say that again to you. It jolted me. According to J.C. Wright, one of the surest marks of his spiritual decline is a decreased interest about the souls of others and the growth of Christ's kingdom. I'm not here this morning to guilt you into being something that you might not be I'm here to pray along with you, just as I spent time anguishing over some of this. In the message, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 17 reads this way. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which has recognized by those on the way of salvation an aroma redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. Are you increasing in zeal and diligence to draw people to Jesus? even when you think the world has no use for your message? Are you the sweet fragrance of Jesus in a world full of of selfishness, indifference, and idolatry? Are you, as Paul writes to the Church of Coloss, the hope of glory to those among you? There is an assumption to Paul's claim to these verses. He can fully assert that he is in this victory parade and through him God brings knowledge of Christ, that he is a sweet fragrance of Jesus. But can you? And I realize that as Paul writes this, he's really talking about himself and the apostles. If we think of the context of First and Second Corinthians, and I joked with Job, I said, Job, yeah, please read the whole chapter, but maybe you should read all of Second Corinthians. Actually, maybe you should read First and Second Corinthians. I'm not sure that that would go over too well. But truly, I take a little snippet out of the context in Second Corinthians. If you know a little bit about what Paul was facing at the Church of Corinth, you realize this was not an easy thing for him to do. It was a church he established. If you go to Acts chapter 18 and 19, you will see the establishment in the Church of Corinth. An amazing place, a vibrant place, but also a godless place. Paul had established his church, and there was difficulty in Corinth. Hence, the first letter. There was division. There was some moral issues. There was a huge emphasis on certain gifts, and a great deal of pride in the gifts that people had. So came this first letter to them. And then we know that he visited them in between the first and the second letter, and it was a painful visit. And the Church of Corinth didn't see Paul as much of a man. He was not much to look at. He was small. He didn't speak well, and I think that grabs a lot of people, sort of grabs their attention. Paul didn't speak well. No, he, didn't. he wrote well, <laughs> but he didn't speak well according to the Church of Corinth, or at least not according to the people who witnessed the work of the super apostles. Paul's second letter focused on his authority and qualifications as an apostle of Christ. There is much emphasis on true Christian humility, especially within leadership and being conformed into the image of Christ. The preeminence of the cross and our need to live a cruciformed life. We are to bear all things. We are to live Jesus wherever we are. The ironic thing in this world, and you know this, we live in an upside-down kingdom. The world is all about power. The world is all about looks. The world is all about, wow, look at how influential that person is. Wow, look at that person. They're just so amazing. Paul was anything but. Luther said that God created the world out of nothing. And until we are nothing, he cannot create anything out of us. As I move into the verses here, I want you to think about, in the background of all of this, that am I truly the sweet fragrance of Jesus? What's getting in the way? What is truly getting in the way of my being Jesus? Not here at MCBC or wherever you are, but in your workplace, with your friends. Where do you go during the week? Who do you spend time with? Do they know that you're a follower of Christ? I'm not asking you to go and stand on a soapbox on the corner of Young and Bloor. I'm not saying that you should shout out at a party, follow Jesus, although if you feel impelled to do that, please. Truly what I'm saying is that if people looked at you and they watched you, would they be aware that you're different? Would they see humility? Would they see meekness? would they see love? I can remember when I was about 20 years, 20 years old, which is quite a long time ago. Okay, not that long ago. And I can remember I was working for the Ministry of Natural Resources. I was, um, I'm from Owen Sound originally, and I'd returned there to work for them for a summer in between school. And I remember working with a group of 20 uh, young people, really around the same age. And I noticed a friend that I'd grown up with there, And he was a bit standoffish with me. I'm not sure why, or I didn't know at that point. And over the course of the weeks of that summer that we spent doing the things that we were doing for the Ministry of Natural Resources, I noticed that he had sort of aligned himself with another group that were um, definitely not people who I wanted to align with, let's put it that way. Not in a judgmental way. But I noticed that he was watching me. I noticed that when he was laughing with them and carrying on with that, their flavor of life, that he was watching me. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. What's going on there? And I was kind of known as uh, goody-two-shoes. I didn't do anything wrong, according to the people there. Trust me. I'm I'm not goody-two-shoes, or haven't always been goody-two-shoes. But... It was later, it was the following year that I found out through someone who knew him and was also a follower of Christ, that he had gone to university and his roommate was a Christian. And that Christian roommate had been ministering to him, sharing with him the good news. He hadn't made any commitment, but he knew that I was a person who went to church. not sure how much he knew. So he watched me. I heard the following year that when he returned to university that he was led to Christ. I'm not saying that it was because of me, but what I am saying is people are watching you. For those of you who claim to follow Jesus, they are watching you. It's not saying that you need to be perfect. You aren't. I'm not. In some instances as we follow Christ, we often have to ask for forgiveness and say we're sorry. But in verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphant, triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. When Paul wrote this, I'm sure that he was thinking of the time in Rome when, and this was the way that the the Roman society worked in their military machine. If you read Josephus, he wrote in his Bella Judaicum how amazing it was to watch the Roman army march. In some cases, just their marching and their order scared armies and they ran away. They were so disciplined. But one of the things they like to do is they liked to take their captives, their slaves, and in some cases, if they were able to, they would take them back to Rome and they would parade them before the Roman citizens. And often there was such pomp and circumstance, and sometimes they would have other slaves spread flowers on the ground that they were walking and i'm sure paul when he wrote this had this in the back of his mind when he was writing this but he wrote this different differently thanks be to god who in christ leads us paul and the apostles but you and i as well but let me tell you something you cannot be led in this kind of procession if you're not willing to be led Paul is saying, really, in short, that I am his slave. I am a slave to Jesus. I'm a bondservant. I am bound to him. And when I'm being led by him, and when I'm working in and through him, or him through me, that he spreads this fragrance of knowledge of himself everywhere. That's an interesting Peace, of humility, both for leadership and for you and I. There is a willingness to want to be surrendered to God. It is not a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I have heard many people, and I've said it myself, I'm surrendered. Let me tell you, some days for me, surrender means moment to moment, every 10 minutes, every 20 minutes. Sometimes it's a brokenness. Because I see in me the sin. I see my sin nature. And I see how I can be swayed by the world. And I can see how I can be swayed by things that are not of Jesus. And I have to run after him. And I have to say, Lord, I need your grace. Lead me in that triumphant procession. Lead me because I want to bow my head to you and i want to be led by you it is only through christ that we are led in triumphant procession there is much to say about what your relationship with jesus will do to your life as you submit yourself to the sanctifying work of the holy spirit again you are involved in this process you're not an automaton you're not a robot you decide yes i want to follow jesus Yes, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Yes, I want to be made holy. But if you remember the backdrop of Paul that I said earlier, he was not much of a man. In fact, he didn't want to be much of a man. He didn't want to be a super apostle. He didn't want to be someone who's high and lifted up. He wanted Jesus to be lifted up through him for his glory. We are struggling with that from day to day, from moment to moment, all of us. Nobody's arrived. We will not arrive until we are before Him in heaven. We are working through our salvation with fear and trembling every moment of every day. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's something you have to want to do. And sometimes I know the anguish of not wanting to do it. Sometimes I know that you just get up and say, I can't do it today. The great Saint Andrew Murray, who was a missionary in South Africa, said, sometimes I simply can only pray, help me, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there's no shame in struggle. But keep your eyes on the the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's no shame in reaching out to a brother and sister and saying, can you pray with me? Can you pray for me? I know that every person on the elders would pray with you and for you. Our pastors would do the same. In fact, there are many people in this church who would come alongside you and bear with you whatever it is you're struggling with. If you truly want to be made humble as you come against that flesh, because we know, as Romans tells us, the flesh wants what the spirit doesn't, doesn't, and the spirit wants what the flesh doesn't. There is a struggle. There is anguish. Say no to your flesh say yes to Jesus so this leading in this procession there is subjugation and humiliation but it's okay it's the best place to be god doesn't want to see the super apostles that are drawing any attention to themselves that's not who he is he wants to glorify himself through you and that means that every moment of every day you are working to have that happen because you're agreeing with the Holy Spirit. Yes, I need to be refined. I identify that part of my life that needs to be refined and I submit it to you, Lord Jesus. I had a good friend from Tennessee who said to me, you know, in a southern drawl, and I'm not going to pretend to do it because I wouldn't do it very well, but in a deep southern drawl, he said, you know, Tim, sometimes I have to crawl up on that altar again and ask him to re-crucify me. Because sometimes I just go the wrong way, the wrong direction. And so, brothers and sisters, we have to want to be made humble. It is not something that is an epiphany necessarily. We need to be open to be led. And God expects humility. He expects it from the leadership and he expects it from you. Are you willing to be led? Are you willing to be led and bound and glorify God as you're being led? Are you willing to be a bondservant? We say this all in the context of Paul and this church at Corinth who didn't have much good to say about him. In fact, the whole book or most of the book of Second Corinthians from chapters 2 through to chapter 7 is about him reconciling himself with the Church of Corinth, and saying, listen, I'm not one of those people. I begin to be given authority, and given authority, because I've been called to do this, and I do it willingly and with joy. But I love you. I want you to be restored. I want to restore our relationship. And so, this is what he does for a number of verses, as I said, from chapters 2 through 7. And if you get a chance... Please do read it prayerfully. In verses 15 and 16, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? This aroma, which is it's a pleasant aroma, it occurs in the Septuagint, the translation of the old testament in a very similar way to the greek 42 different times sorry 46 different times and it occurs in the context of an offering being given to god and it's a sweet aroma to him i want you to draw you back to noah after he had built the ark and after he had been made a fool of by so many people saying why are you doing that why are you building this ark you can go and reread the story. And of course he did it because he was obedient. And after gathering all the animals and being adrift on water for an extremely long time, there came the time when that ark came to solid ground. The Lord had taken away the waters. And what was one of the first things he did after he came out? He offered an offering. And the aroma from that offering was a sweet fragrance to the nostrils of the Lord, as it reads. There is no serving Christ without some form of sacrifice. That you can be that sweet aroma of Christ. But it's sacrificial, just like love is sacrificial. We can be pleasing to God in what we do. And let me tell you that as we spread this aroma, it's the gospel, that really, that is that sweet fragrance. The message we take to people that we share with those that we come into contact with, regardless of the context, but especially with those people who we know and know well, that do not know Jesus. Let us be that sweet aroma, that sweet fragrance. Let me tell you, for those who are being saved, it is so sweet. It is so sweet for those people who have come to Christ through the recognition of the trueness of the gospel as they see their sin and they respond to the gospel. But for those who don't, as you saw the translation from the message, it is not a pleasing aroma, it's a stench. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you've shared the gospel with someone and it was ill-received. that in fact, they were quite angry about it. In fact, if you went into a room and you mentioned any other name of any other religion, there wouldn't be much of a stir. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, you see a change. You see people that react to that name. As Jesus said to the disciples, not you they hate, it's me. If you're bearing the fragrance of Christ in your being, trust me, there will be people who will respond to you in not such a nice way. In fact, they will be repelled by you. That's that fragrance from death to death. But you still carry on you still give them that message and hopefully the Holy Spirit will soften their heart and show them their sin so they can respond accordingly. Brothers and sisters, I need to ask you again, where are you in this passage? Where are you? It's no different than God asking Adam and Eve, where are you? You know, he knew full well where they were, but he's asking you that question, "Where are you?" And sometimes I think that when we come before the Lord, we're not fooling anybody, are we? That when you bow your knee to him and you say, "Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. This is where I am. Can you meet me?" And he will. He will meet you, and he will minister to you, but it takes humility. It takes that coming against your pride and that self-centeredness and that sin that maybe you have not released or that you're involved in, that you haven't repented from. But come before him. Multiple times in the book of Hebrews, the author writes that God says to draw near. He invites us to draw near. Brothers and sisters, he wants you to come into his presence he looks forward to it. He wants so much for you to come into his presence and to commune with him regardless of where you're at. One of the fastest growing churches in the world, believe it or not, is in Iran right now. You would think, wow, I mean, you see the media and how Iran and, and of course the U.S. are at each other's throat, so to speak. But the church in Iran is growing very quickly. And it's an interesting growth because it's led mostly by women. And there's a reason for that. Because in that society, there is much that's going on that would probably abhor abhor you. I'm not going to speak about it now. But one of the things one of the leaders said was this. They realized that there's a difference between those who are converted and those who are disciples. And I quote this person. She said, Disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. There is much going on and they realise in this church in Iran, as an underground church, of course, that if they're found out that they'll disappear. We'll never hear from them again. But they want to serve Jesus because they realize that this is what they need to do. It's a risk they must take. They realize that they'll be beaten, killed. But this is the thing that I want to leave with you. She says, this is the decision we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. Of course, as you know, your New Testament, you live of being a living sacrifice in Romans. You think of this particular context in Second Corinthians where Paul is saying, be that fragrant aroma, that there's a sweet fragrance of Jesus in your life. There's sacrifice involved in that. Don't fool yourself. There is. So people who are in that place where the church is being persecuted, there's a lot of sacrifice. But they realize what it's worth. Brothers and sisters, we are sojourners on this earth. I think the backdrop to all of Paul's writing is that time when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was led away. He was led away in procession at that point, but somewhat, I think, unwillingly. And now, the church to Corinth, very willingly, I do this because I love you. Lord Jesus, you came. And I love John 3.16, but I wish we'd used John 17 along with it. For yes, he sent his son to die for us and for those who love him. You will reap eternal life. But verse 17 says, for he sent his son not to condemn the world. Thank you to save it. Amen. To save it. Paul goes on in verse 17 to say, you know, and it answers the the last portion of verse 16. Who are we that we can do this? He says, for we are not like so many Course, he's thinking of the context of Corinthians. We're not peddlers of God's word. We're not getting anything in return from this. We're sincere when we bring the word of God to people. We believe it ourselves. We live it ourselves. We're going to bring it to you because we believe it. And we bring it commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Brothers and sisters, When we bring the gospel to people, there's no gain for us except the joy that we receive when we see people come to Jesus. We don't do it because we want people to see how profound we are or how astute we are or that they are even knowing who we are, really. We do it because we want them to know Jesus. And yes, he will use your gifts. And yes, he will use you. But I submit to you, submit to him. Let him work through you. That man that I spoke about earlier, that 86-year-old man, his name was Polycarp. He was a church father, a bishop of Smyrna. And as he was led into that town, again, they realized, oh, this guy's a pretty important fellow. Let's try to get him to renounce his faith. Let's try to get him to renounce Jesus And on several occasions, threatening him and saying, listen, we have wild animals. We'll throw you to the wild animals. And in short, Polycarp says, okay, that's okay. They realized we're not going to get anywhere with him. And so they decided that they were going to burn him alive. And so they set up that burning station they put him in amongst the wood and he said, listen, you don't have to bind me, I'll stand here, that's okay. And as they set fire to the wood, a miracle occurred. A wind blew the fire away from him. They couldn't kill him from fire. And so one of the, his persecutors said, well, we're going to have to kill him with a knife. And so they did. According to the sources When his blood poured out, it put out the flames. But I want you to note something. That in the air, there was a sweet aroma of frankincense. As this was happening. If you're going to live your life for 86 years, you're not going to bow your knee, and you're going to live in such a way where Jesus is lifted up, and I'm sure Polycarp wasn't perfect. But if your orientation is to serve him and to live for him and to let go of all those things you think are important but will pass away one day, then there will be a sweet fragrance around you as well. I don't know how many brothers and sisters I know that serve the Lord and in the presence of the room when they passed, there was a deep peace. There's an unbelievable peace that everybody there, whether Christian or not, recognized it. Brothers and sisters, we are not in a place to be living comfortable lives. We are in a place where we are to go out in our places of work, where we find ourselves and in every opportunity to share Jesus through a meek spirit, through a smile, through recognizing somebody who's down broken, cast off, unwanted, unloved, and to recognize those people in society who need Jesus, whether they're aware of it or not. And for those who come to Christ, what a sweet fragrance that will be. What a sweet aroma that will be. Yes, you will come before people who will not like you, will challenge you, but that's okay. Because you know what? You're glorifying God. Let's pray. Father, your word always challenges us. We submit to your word. We submit to your work in our lives. So that you might be glorified. So that, Father, your son might be high and lifted up in this place and in every place that we are. For, Father, we realize as a church we come together to worship you and to praise you and lift you up, to encourage one another, to edify one another, to love one another, so that we might go out in the rest of the week and do the same for others who do not know you. Lord, use us, move us by the work of your Holy Spirit to draw Jesus, to draw others to Jesus. Father, we want to glorify you. We thank you for that opportunity. May you continue to speak in our hearts and our minds for the balance of this day. Again, Lord, just for your glory. Just for your glory. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.